Welcome to the Odyssey Podcasts. This is Jean Cavellos, Director of the Odyssey Writing Workshop's Charitable Trust. The Odyssey Writing Workshop is an intensive six-week program for writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror whose work is approaching publication quality, and for published writers who want to improve their work. Odyssey is held each summer on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Adult writers from all over the world apply. Only 15 are admitted. Top authors, editors, and agents serve as guest lecturers. For more information, visit www.odysseyworkshop.org. Podcast 84 is an excerpt from a lecture by Delia Sherman and Ellen Kushner at Odyssey 2014 on characterization. This is part two. For part one, listen to podcast 83. The text of this recording is copyright 2014 by Delia Sherman and Ellen Kushner. The sound recording is copyright 2015 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust. Shall we segue into Sherlock Holmes? Which actually does kind of segue into Sherlock Holmes, because um, how many of you have actually read the Sherlock Holmes stories rather than seeing it somewhere? That's fewer than I feared. The thing about Sherlock Holmes is that he, he appears in a series of short things, whether it's something you see on the screen or it's something you read in a book, and yet he feels like a fully rounded character. He is a wonderful creation because he's, he's extremely annoying. And yet, he is also extremely charming. And he is somebody who we follow through thick and thin and that we believe that Watson is close friends with um, and in some cases, boy, that, uh, in, in, in some versions of him. The, the thing that ten, Watson changes a lot from variation to variation, but, but Holmes doesn't change actually all that much. He's, he's pretty... Unless he's played by Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> In which case, all bets are off. Um, but the things that remain consistent about him is that, like all really good major characters, his greatest strength is his greatest weakness. That the thing that he can always count on is also the thing that betrays him. The one that, that Conan Doyle picked up about halfway through and decided that he was really going to run with was the whole business of his a sort of restless imagination, his power of reasoning, his brain that wouldn't ever shut off. And he shuts it off with cocaine. And that is his greatest weakness, is that he, he's an addict. He's like a, an adrenaline junkie. He needs that in order to be able to focus and, and to function. And he does things like shoots V's in the wall, he does indoor target practice, which is a very antisocial thing to do and upsets his landlady. But we as readers find it both interesting and charming and human because it shows that he's not just a reasoning machine. And he is also very detached, but he can also be, he also contains his opposite. He can be very gentle. In a lot of the, the stories, I haven't seen it quite so much in the, in the visual things, but they do show him being extremely sympathetic. And that is, that's in canon. He will listen to someone. He will be very sympathetic. He, he pats people's hands from time to time and, and gets them to confide in him. And he means it, you can tell. So he acts out of character, and yet that makes him a more complete character. 
you can't just have a character be one thing all the time. I was talking about being a gregarious introvert. Even no matter how introverted you are, every once in a while there's going to be something that calls out something else in you. And that's what the story's about. The thing that makes you break whatever people expect of you all the time is the thing that, that helps make a story and helps you feel like the character has changed, the character has developed, that the character is a movable object rather than this, this monolithic thing that only ever has one reaction to things. Um, there are other things that he does as well that just keep him from being this kind of omnicom... He, he fails. In at least a third of the written cases, he does not actually... Justice of a kind is usually served, but in several cases, the, the bad guy gets away or kills himself and is not brought to justice or simply disappears. And it's still a satisfying story because Holmes explains it to us and there is a reason for it. And because sometimes he goes, well, you know, sometimes I don't get away. He is not omnicompetent. So when you're thinking of a character, especially over the course of the novel where you can get to know somebody very well, you have to try to make them fallible if they're good, and you have to try to make them sympathetic if they're bad. Because if there was any place that Conan Doyle fell down, it was in his villains who tend to be horrible, deformed creatures with no sense of morality or anything. I mean, Moriarty is simply a, he's simply a construct of evil. The more interesting villains are villains who are heroes in their own heads and do bad things for reasons that seem good to them, who say, I have no choice but to kill you. You've always got a choice. If you've talked yourself into being the sort of person who has no choice, then you're going to do things that aren't very good. But you have to... Sh it's very convenient if you know why they're doing something. One thing that Ellen makes me do from time to time when I have become too caught up in the badness of the bad guy is to have me tell her the scene from the point of view of the other character. It's extremely helpful. She says, okay, and I'm sitting there going, I have no idea. This, this person has no real personality, and I don't know how this scene is going to come out because they're just standing there being bad, and it's not, this is going nowhere. This is boring me. If you are bored by a scene, it's boring, and you need to do something about it. And one way to do it is to think about it from the point of view of, of whoever your main character is having the scene with. Basically, this is very, very helpful, particularly if you've got a really strong protagonist who's really clear in your head, and you have a sneaking suspicion that nobody else is quite as real as they are. Run the scene, as we call it, from somebody else's point of view, and you can actually sit down with somebody you can write it if your sort of first language is, is written rather than spoken. You can just write the whole scene like a really rough draft from the other character's point of view or talk it through with somebody. Yeah, I will just sit down to do and go, okay, you're a bad guy. What do you think is happening in this scene? And that can really break it open if you're having trouble. Well, there was one more thing that I wanted to say that, that does not move gracefully out of anything that we have said before. But... Um, when you think about plot and you think about character, you have to think about them together because plots are 
Plots are things not only that happen to people, they are things that are created by people. Maybe there's the cataclysm of some sort and people have to deal with it, and that is, that's the defining thing that happens to begin the story. But whatever, but they all die is not actually a good story. They have to interact with each other and their environment, and all of their decisions are actions. And those actions affect the other characters, and those things lead to other actions, and then you've got a story going. Things from the outside can happen to them, but their reaction is what is interesting, not not the cataclysmic event or the train wreck or whatever it is that happens. So it's fine to have a plot in which a great deal happens to the character, but what is really interesting is the character's reaction to that and how they deal with it. And it has to have something to do with that character as an individual. Um, when you're writing along and you say, okay, I have this beautiful plan, I've got this gorgeous outline in which everything is this cause and effect chain that is absolutely airtight. And then you say, well, my character wouldn't do that, and my character ran away with it. It means that it's got some life to it. It means that you, you have created something that has a logic of its own that you cannot put into the straitjacket that you have created in the outline, which is why, if you're an outliner, you have to realize that the outline is something that can change, that the more interesting thing is what your character does than your plot points. If you expect something to be happening over here and the character says, no, I want to take a journey in this direction, then you've got to let that one go and find some other way of putting that obstacle or putting a different obstacle in the way of the character. Because the, the character really drives the action. It does in life, too. Stuff happens to people and bad things happen to them, but it's their reaction to it that make that make the tragedy, that make the comedy, that make whatever it is. It's about the human beings involved in their interactions. You usually know your characters better as a writer than I do as a reader. It's very hard sometimes to get the character on the page because you you know so well. It's like, of course Jane bit Harry's knee. That's who Jane is. But we don't know why. <laughs> We haven't got enough information to go, oh, yeah, we should bite him on the knee under those circumstances. It makes perfect sense. Yep, that's what she'd do. It, it's surprising. It's kind of a revelation, but it's also inevitable. And that's, that's what a good character is, is that we know them well enough so that we're not shocked and thrown out of the story by an action, but we go, yeah, I wouldn't have expected that, but it makes sense. The text of this recording is copyright 2014 by Delia Sherman and Ellen Kushner. The sound recording is copyright 2015 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust.